A good Saturday morning to you, 745 Means. It's time for another wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Hi, Jack. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Leap Day. It, it is. It's a leap day. Tomorrow is March, and we have a beautiful forecast today. And actually, this coming week looks pretty good. Comes in like a lion, goes out like a lamb. We'll take it. And it's coming in like a lamb, obviously. Absolutely. What are we going to talk about today? You know what I thought we'd talk about today? Things that I particularly, somebody said to me, you seem to really enjoy wine. Well, I really do. And there's lots of reasons I do. Uh, You know, it's a very interesting drink. It's intellectually challenging as well as uh, a taste challenge every time you taste something new. But there are other things, too. Uh, Going to wine places around the world, that is just a part of my job, and it's a thrilling thing. There's so many wonderful places uh, where they produce wine. Uh, Some of them are absolutely breathtaking. I can remember being in the foothills of the Andes uh, in a vineyard, looking up at those spectacular mountains as a backdrop. I can also remember being in South Africa and looking at high hills in the background and watching them chase away the baboons from the vineyards because they were stealing the grapes. Um, you know, the beautiful hills of Sonoma are, are wonderful unto themselves. And, of course, even the Finger Lake District of New York is very, very pretty. And unless you've ridden up the Mosul and seen those terraced vineyards in Germany, you really can't appreciate how unusual the wine business is that they could grow on those steep hills. It's hard to imagine they could grow anything. In fact, some places in Germany, they actually have to go up and down on ropes because the vineyard's so steep to cultivate them. And it's just, you know, everywhere in Italy is beautiful where there's wine areas. Uh, The topography, you know, blends, lends itself to growing grapes, but the scenery is a the added plus, it's just sort of striking to behold that beautiful backdrop when you uh, go to different wine country. And, of course, when you're in wine country, the wine and food combinations are terrific. Generally, when you go to where wine is born, let's say you're in Burgundy, you know, their Cocavan there is just some of the best in the world. That Cocavan is just an old rooster cooked in wine. And it's really delicious. And uh, but the food uh, and that you experience in wine country is always very nice and always lends itself to the environments. I remember once talking to Charlie Boone uh, about having bread soup, and he thought it was so interesting. He finally researched it, went to Italy and had it. Became one of his favorite dishes. It's a way to use up old stale bread. And they make a wonderful soup out of it. Another thing I like about the wine business is going to wine shops. You know, when you're in a wine shop, particularly wine shops in wine country, they generally know what's happening. uh, And it's a good source to find out new wines and their discoveries, etc. When you're in a wine shop, whether you're in a wine shop in Minneapolis or Los Angeles, or in London, you're going to learn something, believe me. And, of course, you don't have that same experience when you're buying wine online or buying wine via mail. Uh, That intercommunication you have with the people in the wine shop is something that really is not only uh, noteworthy, but it's uh, a way of increasing your knowledge on wine. Uh, They generally know what's good in their area. And like I say, I always 
I'm uh, on a busman's holiday. I love to stop in different wine shops as I travel around the world uh, to find out what's happening. Eavesdropping, even on the requests of uh, people in the shop who are asking for something and seeing what the clerk's response is, they're all part of learning something. And, of course, wine people. The wine people, it just seems to me you have to have a pretty good disposition to be in the wine a business, particularly if you're a vigneron, uh, that is, you sell wine that you make. Uh, they, they just, with very few exceptions in my 50 years in this business, have I met anybody who was uh, unpleasant. They're usually very, very, they're all avid about what they do, and their enthusiasm is contagious. And when they talk about their wines, it's like talking about their children, and naturally, they're very proud of their children as they're proud of their wines. And uh, it also uh, really uh, does, again, increase your knowledge. They talk about not only making the wine, but growing the grapes, and you walk through the vineyards with them, etc. So visiting vineyards is really part of meeting wine people. And when you meet these wine people, as I say, most of them are very pleasant. They certainly all are passionate about what they're doing, and their enthusiasm and passion can be contagious. And they can really convince you, in my opinion, uh, that their wine is exceptional and why it's exceptional. You know, they don't use a lot of these gimmicks like aging wine and bourbon barrels and things like that, which is kind of one of my pet peeves. Uh, Wine is pretty good by itself. It doesn't need to be aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, to improve the quality of it. But, you know, it's a new wrinkle, and people like it. Another favorite part are the grapes themselves. You know, whether you're tasting a Pinot Noir grape or a Cabernet grape, etc., you're always kind of taken. We're so used to table grapes and how big they are. When you get a wine grape, they're very small, almost uh, unanimously uh, smaller than about the size of a blueberry uh, maybe a little bigger, but the, the different wine grapes, and there are thousands of them, are always fascinating. Uh, the, the most popular, the Sauvignon Blanc and the Chardonnay, etc., are all very interesting. But Gullner Veltner from Austria is also a very interesting wine, uh, as is Traminer from uh, Alsace, a very interesting grape type. And, of course, the only grape, that really tastes the same as the wine is the muscat grape. And the muscat grape grows all over, particularly in its uh, source, which was in Greece or uh, the Mediterranean somewhere anyway. But muscat grapes uh, can be vinified dried or sweet. Uh, But both of them, whether they're dry or sweet, you can taste that muscat in them all the time. And, you know, it's interesting some of the vineyards don't even know what kind of grapes they have there, particularly in places like Portugal. They've had to do DNA testing on the grape types to find out because the grapes are 100, 150 years old. The vines, no one knew what they were, so they did DNA testing to find out what they were. And, of course, when you learn these grape types, you know that, that opens a whole world for you on grapes. Uh, and naming of the wine, because a lot of parts of the world, uh, pioneered by our own California in back in the 70s and late 60s, uh, where they put the name of the grape on the bottle, Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, etc. Prior to that, 
they'd all have made up names or, or geographic names, which is popular in Europe. But the grapes themselves are a wonderful part of uh, wine and wine lore, how they make the wine. That's fascinating. And, uh, you know, I, I think I told you once I was taking some people around a vineyard and the guy said to me, why do they, what are those bags of sawdust for? I said, well, I don't know. They have nothing to do with making wine. Well, the winemaker informed me that they threw those bags of sawdust in the must as they were making the wine and then filtered it out and it gave the wine a wood uh, oak flavor. And, you know, they put oak staves in the center of vats and uh, put wine in wine barrels all to get this oak flavor that's so sought after. That was the first time I ever saw them actually put sawdust in to get the oak flavor. And it worked fairly well. You could taste the oak in it. Um, wouldn't be my favorite kind of wine to have. If you really want to have oak, it should be barrel-aged. That's the best way. But they, uh, it's pioneered by uh, the Australians. Uh, they put oak staves in the big, huge vats, and those staves would impart a little oak flavor, and thus they were able to sell uh, kind of oak Chardonnay at very, very reasonable prices. Uh, by extracting it from those staves that have been dropped in huge vats. Another thing is the aroma of wines. You know, when you walk into a vineyard, just the smell of the making wine is very, very appealing. And as we've talked before, when you're evaluating and tasting wines, uh, you really need uh, to have a clear nasal passage because the nose can distinguish so many things that the mouth can't. The mouth can only get four things, sweet, sour, salt, and bitter. And the, But your nose can distinguish over 50,000, 60,000 different smells. And so the aroma of wine is always fascinating. I mean, if it freshly made Cabernet Sauvignon or a Pinot Noir. Uh, those, those aromas are really marvelous. They're walking into the winery and smelling the wine that's just been pressed, that fresh must. It's just marvelous. And then wine gadgets. I mean, who doesn't love wine gadgets? If you're into wines, you, you probably have 15 different corkscrews and 10 different wine glasses and decanters and uh, uh, decanters. All sorts of things that you use uh, for wine tools. They're, they're very pleasurable. Wine can be a totally tactile thing, from the pop of a champagne cork to the tactile feel of the glass in your hand. It appeals, to me anyway, to all the senses, uh, not the least of which is taste itself. Because, uh, you know, loving wine, it's just a passionate thing. And as I said, you, wine creates emotions in people, but it can bring out uh, the, the best in people. I don't think I've ever seen it bring out uh, anything too bad in anybody, but the, certainly it's an emotional beverage. It, it can evoke a lot of memories, and people that share wine uh, are really wonderful, and, and that's true. And most people that like wine, you're going to be with people that are caring, sharing individuals. And so that's kind of it, in a nutshell, the things I like about wine. And uh, every one of them unto themselves would be a wonderful thing. But when you combine all of those wine-producing areas, wine shops, meeting wine people, uh, the grapes, uh, the tools, the emotions, everything else, 
It really makes wine a wonderful, wonderful thing, uh, besides being a great beverage and enhancing food. And the wine and food combinations that you pick up when you're traveling wine country are just remarkable, uh, how well they go together. We talked around Valentine's Day about wine and chocolate, and who would ever dreamt that, that chocolate would go fairly well with wine, but indeed it does. And, and as I said, that was an eye-opener for me, maybe 15 16 years ago, the first time I ever had chocolate with wine. And I thought, why, this really does go very well together. So it's a constant learning experience, too. And that's what you look forward to. I read a book once, it's Hand Me That Corkscrew. And that is the greatest way to start a wine adventure, is to get a corkscrew and start pulling those corks and tasting wine. And believe me, it can be a lifetime pleasure to enjoy wine, and enjoy all the aspects of wine. And believe me, there are a lot of wonderful things you can do in life, hobbies, etc. But if you're into wine and do all these things, believe me, it's going to enhance your life immeasurably. And uh, not to mention, as I tell anybody who comes to work in the wine business, no matter how long you stay here, if it's 10 years or 10 weeks, you're going to carry with you when you leave a, a real appreciation of how wonderful wine is as a table beverage and how much better wine can make a meal taste. Absolutely. Jack, great job. Love the show. And uh, tell us, Haskell's uh, will, if people have come in with questions like, uh, you know, what you brought up today, they'll be glad to help you out. They love to answer questions on wine. They love to pair wine with food. And, you know, they're very good at it. Believe me, they can help you make a spectacular meal while they can't cook the meal for you, but they can ensure that the meal is spectacular by picking a great wine that will go just perfectly with it. And, incidentally, today, to celebrate Leap Year, Haskell's has 29% off any bottle of wine over $100. 29%. So if you have a bottle of wine that you had your eye on but it's too expensive, go in and get it today. It has 29% off of any wine over $100. It's a great, great deal. There's a Haskell's where you can save 29% on your $100 bottle of wine on Leap Day uh, all over. There's one in Bloomington, Excelsior. There's one in Faribault right off of 35. Our super seller is not to be missed up in Maple Grove. In downtown Minneapolis, there's free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com, and you'll see the vineyards of the world. And don't forget, you can save 29% today and tomorrow on any wine over $100. Fantastic. Haskell's are the wine people. They are indeed, for good reason. Jack, let's talk next week. You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Thanks very much, Jack.